Y'all can be seated. Uh, you can get your Bible, and uh, if you don't have your Bible, we've got some Bibles up there on the table. You can turn to Acts chapter 16. We're we'll looking at Acts 16. And um, as we do that, I first want to get started by saying that, you know, we've been, uh, we've been talking about this. You see it in the, uh, the bulletin program, uh, Be for the City. Be for the city. And, you know, that can easily set up here. You can easily think about that as a, um, you know, we've done a sermon series. We've done what we call campaigns here. And you can easily think about that as, as a local missions campaign. I mean, it, going by what it says, be for the city. But it is so much more than that. And I want to emphasize that in that being for the city is really what we're called to do and be as Christians, and that is to be for Christ in the place where he has planted us. And we had to be planted in you know, Jackson, Mississippi, or the greater Jackson area. To be for Christ in this place at this time when he has called us. I mean, it's, so it's not just a series, it's not a campaign, I mean, it's our, it's our life, it's our, it's our calling as believers. And it's also connected to the, the life, the DNA of this church. If, if some of y'all know, some of y'all might remember, but, but the theme verse of this church, I mean, why we started was one verse, John 10, 16. Jesus, there are others out there. I have to go to them. There'll be one flock with one shepherd. And if that's what Jesus does, then that's what we must do too. And there are people in our city, in this place, that, that have a void in their life, that are searching. And if we have the good news, we need to give it to them. We need to, to share it. It's tied into what our mission is, raising leaders who raise families, who raise the kingdom here in this city. So, so it is service, it is local missions, but it's also witness. Missionaries don't just go to Uganda or India or all over the world. We're all missionaries if we have Christ in us. We're all messengers. We have good news. So we are called to, to witness, to evangelize. Now those are two very churchy words, that may like goob some of y'all out. It is what we're called to do, but, but how does that happen? I mean, how do we, how do we witness, how do we evangelize? And, and a lot of folks will say, I mean, they, they've told me this, they probably told some of y'all this, hey, I like Christianity, you know, I like the teachings, I, I like the message, but the only thing, I can't get into this like, you know, conversion deal, or, you know, trying to convert people. Well, listen, if you think about it, we're all in the conversion business, I mean, we're all, whether we realize it or not, trying to convert people to our way of thinking. Even that person who says, hey, I like Christianity, but I don't like the conversion because, you know, just you know, leave people alone and let them make up their mind for themselves. I mean, then that person's trying to convert us into thinking that we shouldn't convert or that their way of thinking is better than ours. All of us are trying to convert in some way. So, so how do we do that? Conversion... Very churchy word. Witness, very churchy word. Evangelize, very churchy word. How do we practically do that? And so as we're talking about be for the city, I want to focus in on, on our personal witness, like, like how we witness, how we convert, how we evangelize. I think this passage, and it, honestly, it's one of my favorite in all the Bible. I've used it before. I actually used it at a Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. I think it's so powerful. It's so important to me that, that everybody needs to hear it because you have three conversions here. 
And I think there are three different ways that people come to know Christ. And I want you to see it. And I hope we can all see it. So there are three different people. There's a woman, there's a slave, and there's a Gentile. And there are different ways in how they come to Christ. So Acts 16, and just to give you a little background context, Paul is on a mission trip, his second missionary trip, with Silas. God calls him to Europe. So he goes across to what is now, and then actually, Macedonia. And he ends up starting this church at Philippi, which he wrote the letter of Philippians. But this is how it all came to be, and these were the first converts in Europe. So how does that happen? So Acts 16, and we will start with verse, uh, we'll start verse 13. So they're in Philippi, and it says, On the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her house as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You can stop right there. Also in your bulletin, if you want to follow along on today's message, there's some fill-in-the-blanks. You can use this or not. Some people like it. You may not. But anyway... Three ways to witness starting out. The first we see here, to witness by reason or by by conversation. I mean, Lydia here is two things. One, she's a successful businesswoman. Studies have shown Lydia probably financed the startup of this church in Philippi. She was a seller of, of purple goods, purple dyes. And she's a very astute businesswoman. And she was also very religious. She knew God's word. She knew the Hebrew scriptures. She knew what we think of as the Old Testament. She knew that. She was a Jew. And so Paul is there and Paul is talking to her. Paul is conversing. Paul Paul is reasoning. And at a moment, verse 14 says, the Lord opened her heart and she gets it. I mean, she, she gets it. And this is someone, again, who knew the Bible, knew the scriptures, knew, hey... Scriptures say that there must be a sacrifice. Scriptures say, hey, the prophet will come to save us all. And she gets, it's Jesus. Jesus is the lamb. It was a combination of Paul's conversation and his reasoning with her. And the Lord opened her heart. So sometimes how we witness is by simple conversations. Like ongoing conversations. Helping them see. And there's a moment... That God opens their heart. I don't know when that will be for each individual. I know that, that some people, you know, listened and heard and sat at Jesus' feet. And for whatever reason, their heart was never open. Maybe it was the hardness of their heart. But for Lydia here, Paul took time to talk it out. She was thinking it out. And God opened her heart. I think about this and, and using some examples. One in my own life is, is honestly, some of y'all know this story, uh, my wife. My wife now was not always a believer. Actually, she didn't come to Christ until in her late 20s. So technically, like, there, that's about a 2 or 3% uh, percentage of folks who come later in life 
to Christ. And, and thinking about how she was converted or how she accepted Christ or came to Christ, I mean, it started through conversations. I mean, my wife's much smarter than I am, you know. And she knows a lot and she knew a lot of the Bible. And she's like, hey, I like, you know, teachings and everything, but this whole conversion. And so through a process of time and many conversations, and then I say, hey, you should read, you know, C.S. Lewis. Hey, you should come to church and hear this guy. What do you think? And there was patience and there was prayer. And at a moment, and she can tell this better than I can, the Lord opened her heart. I mean, it was a moment. She's like, I'm saved. She said, I believe. And she's not here. God love her. But, so I don't want to speak for her, but she literally put it like she was standing on a cliff and she was so hesitant to take that step. And finally she took the plunge, took the step. And the Holy Spirit, she, she literally is like a Holy Spirit feeling that moment and God opened her heart. A lot of you have people in your life exactly like that. Some call themselves Christians. Some come to church. Some may even go to Bible study. But you know, we all, we all know folks like this. We have a problem. We have loved ones, friends, family, who, who don't really know Christ. What do we do? I think a great way here in this culture is reason with them. Have conversations. Initiate conversations. Say, you know, what do you think about this? Maybe you've come to church today. And you know your friend or spouse is not there. What do you think about this? What do you make of it? And if he or she says, you know, maybe what you don't want to hear, it's okay. Have patience. Pray for that person. Initiate conversations. Pray for the person. Have patience. And know that God can do more through us than we can ever do for him. When I first heard that statement, it, it really hit me. Because, you know, I'm like, hey, I want to do things for God. I want to do things. And we want to rush things and, hey, get them to get saved and all that. And sometimes, man, God's got to work. We've got to be patient. Let God work. Pray for him. But a great way to witness is through ongoing conversation, through reasoning, processing. Another way is the next, uh, the next lady we'll see. Verse uh, 16. Pick up there in Acts chapter 16. This is a slave girl. Look what happens to her. It says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaimed you the way of salvation. This she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Second way to witness, first, reasoning, conversation. Second, by power. I mean, this is like an, an old school example. Some of us know this, it raised in some small country churches. Some old, an old school example of the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in a moment, Paul says, come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. And she's healed immediately. She's saved. Now, I don't know if I'd recommend that in every scenario and situation, you know. But I don't want to just pass it by either. It happens. It's real. It's real stuff. Real power. Power of the Holy Spirit. Calling out spirits. Releasing the Holy Spirit. Melting hearts. And in an instant, people come to know Christ. I, I believe it. I've seen it. I've seen it. One of the most powerful experiences in, in my um, I want to say young, but short ministry, feel old. 
my short ministry was in Africa a couple years ago. My wife and I had an opportunity to go over with Victor Smith on this water well mission. But I got to preach a couple times. And one night I was, uh, I was asked to preach uh, out in, in an open field. I mean, we drove about three hours, left at uh, about four o'clock, got there. And these missionaries had taken all day, all day in this field to set up uh, a screen and, and things, technology that we take for granted. They, they'd worked all day getting the wiring right to show this Jesus film to tribes in that area. And these same missionaries do this Jesus film all the, over the world, translating it into every tribal language. And so we got there, and it is night under the African skies, and show this film of Jesus' life. And then they'd ask me, hey, come out, you know, 10, 15 minutes, invitational. So they show the, the life of Christ, and, and then I came out and had a translator, and, you know, asked people to, to receive Christ. And, you know, it was dark, and there were about 400 people there. I was, and people had come for, I mean, it was a, a gathering of different tribes. And, you know, I said, man, if, you, if, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if you want what you see, man, just raise your hand and we'll pray for you. And literally over 200 people, like, raised their hand. And, and people were coming to Christ. And you probably have heard these things about, like, Africa and, and other, other nations, third world. And, and one of the things I, I think that it is the way it is is, a lot of these folks are raised believing in spirits. Like, you know, they walk and this tree has a spirit or that river has a spirit. So there's this awareness and this like palpable sense of the Holy Spirit that's already working. So it doesn't, doesn't take much time to explain. And, you know, that's about as much as I can explain. Then it's just that the Holy Spirit's working and saving lives. And, you know, closer to home, I've, I've seen this happen at uh, Emmaus. Walk to Emmaus. Uh, and we've got two coming up in the next two weeks, the men and women's walk. And so I want to highlight that but, and pray for our folks going. We've got a couple men and women who are going. But, but I've seen lives that people just go to this, this deal, this retreat, and they come back and it's, it's happened. Powerful moment, moment of the Holy Spirit. Lives changed. They're like, sign me up. What can I do? Go to Africa. Go to Honduras. You know, I'm gone. Seen it. It happens. We can't neglect it. Yeah, sometimes people need an ongoing conversation. Sometimes, man... God just hits them. It's done. Praise God. Also, and I, I want to highlight this. This slave girl, this slave girl, when Paul, when God used Paul to save her, he saved her out of spiritual and social oppression. I mean, she, she was poor. She was probably the opposite of Lydia, where Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman. She would be like what we think of as a drug-addicted prostitute here. And God uses Paul to save her. And if we're not aware, we can be aware of the, the business folks and business women and businessmen, but at the same time, those that are in, in poverty. I saw this picture recently, this book I'm reading. It's got, you know, a stained glass window and door of a church, and right outside is the poor dude laying on the ground. And, that, you know, the premise of the book is we've got our, our great buildings, our stained glass windows, and if we ignore the poor, we're not being the church. Paul didn't ignore her. She was saved. She's brought out of spiritual and social oppression. So by reason, by power. And then one other example. And I want to read, this is a little longer passage. I'm going to start verse 19 and go through verse 34. So bear with me here. This is a Gentile man. Look at how he comes to know Christ. So it says, when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace for the rulers. 
When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined and attacked them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them, gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's bonds were unfasted. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire house that he had believed in God. You got Lydia, conversation. She thought it out. God opened her heart. You got the slave girl who came to know Christ by power. This is a dude. Now, I mean, we got some dudes here. This, this was a Gentile, but also a Roman but also a soldier. I mean, he was like a military dude. This cat, he doesn't need talking long conversations. He's probably not going to believe in the power of prayer. He's practical. He needs to see it. He needs to see Christ in somebody. And he does. Three ways of witness. By reason, by prayer, by power, by example. This dude, man's man, I think of. I kind of think of Bull Angelo. I don't know where you are, Bull. I just, you know, big dude, Bull, you know. He's a man's man. He's a soldier. He's a warrior. He, you know, he fails. He's like, I'm going to fall on my sword. I'm going to fall on my sword. Paul says, no, no. He sees something. I mean, he, he asks, sir, what must I do to be saved? Something triggers that question. He sees something different that he has never seen before. What is it? Right? Two things that, that I can draw out of that passage. The first is that, you know, he was either with or ordered Paul and Silas to be beaten with rods. It says, clothes ripped off, beaten with rods. Thrown into prison, thrown into jail. What do they do? They praise God. They sing. They praise God. He's like, what is going on here? These fellows just got beaten, tossed into jail. We're going to run them out of town if we don't kill them. And they're singing. They're praising God. In the midst of suffering, they are worshiping. The jailer, the Gentile, the Romy sees that. What is this all about? This is different. Then there, there's an earthquake. And the jailer's like, okay, I failed. I'm going to fall on my sword. Paul says, no, 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 please don't. Please don't. And if I were the jailer, like, I either stood by or I ordered you to be beaten. I threw you in jail. Now you, you have power over me. You know, I mean, every relationship, there's like power dynamics. And at a point, the jailer had power. He tossed him in jail. And now he's, he's humble. And Paul's been saved by God. 
And he says, no, please don't, don't fall on your sword. He forgives. Evil was done to them and, and he forgives the jailer. Sometimes we can't talk to people. Sometimes they're not going to believe in the power of prayer. Some people need to see it. And if we have met Christ, if we know Christ, then we should be different. I mean, we, we should be different. It's not just a, hey, I got my fire insurance. It is a, go through the Bible, all the great teachers that I've known, all the great devotions that I've read, y'all have read. I mean, there should be a change. Something should happen. And it shouldn't be just one moment. It should could grow throughout life. So, I mean, two questions that this ties into right now is like, if, if you know Christ, if we know Christ, how do we handle suffering? Because we all suffer. It just depends on where it hit us now or hit us yesterday or is going to hit us tomorrow. How, how do we deal with suffering? Do we suffer well? When all looks lost, do we worship? Because all was lost for them and they worshiped. And do we forgive when wrong's been done to us? These are two big questions. I think here in the Bible Belt, sometimes there's no greater witness than our example. Suffering well, worshiping when things look dire, and forgiving. If someone hurts us, can we say, no, no, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. Again, if we know Christ, we should be different. He should change us. There are many ways to witness, but I think these hit the three most specific. By thinking it out, reason, conversation, power of prayer, by example. And this passage, you know, it speaks to me in one way, or actually three ways. It tells us a couple things about the gospel. First thing is, the gospel is for everybody. It's for all people. And I know you say, I mean, I know that, I know that. But no, if you think about these three people, Lydia... Um, probably looked something like, a, um, like an Indian person. I mean, she was, she was dark-skinned, Middle Eastern. The, the slave girl could be anybody, and the, the Gentile, the Roman, was like a Southern European. Different races, different classes, rich, poor, and, you know, just a probably middle of the way, middle class dude. Different races, different classes. Gospels for everybody. John 10, 16. There are others. Gospel for everybody. And being for the city means being a church for the city and looking like this city. I would say, you know, diversity is not just a black-white word. I mean, it's an everybody word. The city's a diverse place, racially, socioeconomically, class-wise. And to be the church, man, we got to be for all. we got to say all are welcome. And I know we say all are welcome, but I mean, like, live it. The gospel's for all. Second, the gospel is uniting all sin. I've preached this before. There is no difference. There's no difference between me and you, you and I. There's no difference between you and you. Y'all, we are all broken. We're all in sin. The gospel unites us that way. We're all going to stand before God and give an account. Rich, poor, black, white, yellow, red, Jackson, Madison, Rankin, India. We're all going to stand before God. It's uniting. We all need His grace. We all need His grace. There was an old Jewish poem 
written, you know, Jews, Old Testament. And the poem basically said, Thank God, thank God, I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Because for the Jews, it's, you know, it's a, it's a guy, it's a Jew, you're not a woman, not a slave, not a Gentile, you're, you got it, you made it. First three converts in Europe, a woman, a slave, a Gentile. God's for all. God unites us all in Christ. We all stand before him. And then last thing this tells me, it should tell us, the Holy Spirit is so powerful that you can't put the gospel in a box. You can't. Holy Spirit works in so many ways. I mean, he can work here in worship. He can work on a mission trip. He can work in a small group. He can work in your personal devotion time. That's why you need it all. He can work in a baptism. He can work in worship. He can work in a sermon. He can work through relationships. Holy Spirit is so powerful. And for your spiritual life, for your salvation, for your conversion, and for your growth, Holy Spirit is going to work in different ways. Praise God. That's why we need it all. We need a lot of different people that look different and have different gifts. And the Holy Spirit uses us. Praise God. The Holy Spirit can use you. Use you to bring about His kingdom. I will tell you this. When you really, when it hits you, when you think about that God uses you to bring someone to live forever... With him, that is humbling. And God wants to do that. Can you believe it? I mean, our, our God, all power, he, he chooses us as broken vessels to be used. And he wants to use you to bring others to him in different ways. Conversation, prayer, example. We say anybody can be a leader for Christ. Look at Paul. He killed Christians. Look at Peter. He was a drunk. God can use anybody. Anybody can be a leader for Christ. We talk about B for the city. It's very much what you think of local mission service. It's so much more, though. Just, just living for Christ in our work, at our law firm, at, our, at the mayor's office, at a doctor's office, in our business, with our relationships. And that's tough. Sometimes that's the greatest mission of all. We need the church. We need one another to be for Christ in this city. But this church, Bellwether, I mean, it, it's different. I mean, all churches are different. This is different. It was founded on something different. There are others, John 10, 16. Anybody can be a leader for Christ, even if you're doubting. And we want to raise leaders who know Christ, grow in Christ, and will show Christ. But it all comes down to you. I mean, it always ends up being personal. Where are you? Where are you in Christ? Do you know him? We want you to know him here. And we want you to show him. And the thing is, if you're not showing him, do you really know him? Think about that. You say, yeah, I know him. But like I said, if, if we know him, we're called to be different. We should be different. Do we show him in our conversations, with our prayer, with our example? We want you to know him. We want you to grow in him. And as you're growing in him, you will show him. May we do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're called. If you're in us, we're messengers, we're missionaries right here. I pray we accept that call. I pray we live and lead into that call. And I pray that, that you help us show Jesus. That, that we're discerning in whether to have a conversation. Whether to, to simply say, brother, sister, I'm praying for you. I want you to know I'm praying for you. Or simply by example, or, or just a combination of it all. 
pray you give us discernment. I pray you give us relationships that we can lean on. I pray you'd, you'd grow us as a church family to be more authentic and real with one another and say, hey, I got this brother, I got this husband, or I got this wife, or I got this kid, and I want them to come to know Christ. And that we look at ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves, do we know Christ? Help us to know you, Jesus. And when we know you, when we really know you, we will show you. In your name we pray.